Father, in Jesus' name, we want to thank you again uh, for your, your love. We want to thank you, Lord God, for your grace and also your mercy, without which, Lord God, we have no standing before you. Uh, that includes not, every, not only everyone sitting in the pew, but also everyone that's sitting on the pulpit. All of us, we are in need of your grace and also your mercy at the same time. Uh, now, Father, we ask you that you would just enter into our, our time together, Lord God, and we say, Lord God, that we give you our hearts, Lord. We give you our hearts. We give you our minds. We give you our soul. Everything that we are, Lord God. We're saying that we need to be ministered to. Uh, we want it to be ministered uh, uh, from you to us, Lord God, this day. Uh, so, Father, would you accomplish this work in and through our life. Lord God, uh, as we walk through this issue uh, that we will complete this week, Lord God, we ask you uh, that uh, you would help us to understand. Help us to understand better, Lord, your love. Father, for those who are walking in bondage, we ask for their freedom and their liberty in Christ. Those whom the Son set free is free indeed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last time we laid the foundation for our passage today in which we heard uh, how this woman, uh, also known as uh, a sinner, how she approached Jesus at dinner time to not only wash his feet, Remember, he kissed, she kissed his feet, and she anointed his feet all at the same time. She was weeping so much, we heard last time, that her tears were as a river flowing down. That's why she was able to wash his feet, because she was crying so profusely. Here in Luke 7, the passage says nothing about the reason why she was crying so much, but whatever reason that she was weeping, we assume, make a scriptural guess that it caused her plenty of emotional pain. Maybe she was crying because of a life that she was unable to get back due to her current occupation. Maybe she realized this was it for her. She lived this life, she made a decision, and now she can't take it back. It's done. Everybody talked about her. There was no future for her. So maybe she was weeping because of that. There was no hope. No hope for anything else except to be stuck right where she was, that same spot. It is in that same spot where she knew that all of her existence, that was nothing, nothing but a cul-de-sac, nothing but a dead end. And frankly, this is a place Sometimes we find ourselves in that proverbial spiritual cul-de-sac, that place 
where we feel stuck, without hope. And if we thought that it could actually help for some of us, we would also cry. Some of us would cry in here today because we can't figure out how to get out of the mess that we found ourselves in. And you see, for the men of Jesus' day, those holy men, also known as the Pharisees, they thought it was strange because they were trying to figure out why you, Mr. Jesus, would allow this woman, this woman of the night, to even touch you in the first place. Why would you allow anyone? Some people would even say of us, why would you want to go to a place in a couple of weeks uh, to be around possibly uh, folks that uh, other folks don't want to be around? Why would you also put yourself in that same predicament? You see, for Jesus, there was something special about him. Quite frankly, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's also something special about you as well. So in response to the heart of Simon, Simon the Pharisee, Jesus speaks this parable. Luke chapter 7, verses 41 through 43. Tell Simon, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. That's 50 denarii. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Jesus asked Simon in verse 43. Simon answered, the one... I suppose, he says, as if he really didn't know uh, who would love him the most. So he says, and you know how it is, that sometimes when you really don't want to answer what the truth is, you say, "Mm, I guess. So he says, the one, I suppose, I, I guess, Mr. Jesus, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, and as Jesus said to Simon the Pharisee, you have judged rightly. This is the parable on forgiveness and also love. You see, when all your resources are totally exhausted, and your back is against the wall, what do you do? You know the story. The bills keep coming in. The problems keep piling up. But what do you do? This parable is of that creditor and two folks that owed him money. And neither one of them had the money to pay them back. Have you ever opened up a charge card? They call it my charge card, right? Remember those days? Uh, I'm I'm dating my wife right now. 
right? I remember those days, I remember those days that my parents would go to the store, right? Uh, even though we call them credit cards, at that time they called them charge cards, right? Because they were made, if you remember, not made of plastic. What were they made of, some of you uh, more mature saints in the Lord? They were made of metal. You remember that? So you would take that little half-sized card piece of metal uh, to your store, right, wherever you wanted to purchase, wherever it was, and they would take that card and they would lay it onto the machine, right? And then they would take that piece of paper and lay the piece of paper on the machine. You remember that? And then they would take that big old handle and they would put it down and they would punch that thing down or they would take the card and put it on a, a different kind of machine, lay the piece of paper on, and then they would slide it across. Boy, was that state of the art. And then it would make an imprint, like the, uh, I think it was like the mimeograph or something like that. It always came out in like this blue, bluish stuff. So, uh, so that's how you would charge in those days. Today is a little bit easier. You can pick up your phone right now and charge and even open up an account as you're sitting here today. But how many folks uh, in their lifetime have opened up uh, one credit card account after another, after another, eventually finding themselves to the place where they could not pay. This is where they were, these two guys that owe uh, these folks this money. One owed uh, 500 denarii, while the other person owed 50 denarii. What in the world is that? Well, to put it into perspective, a denarii was considered one day's wages. So whatever you work for, for one day, that was considered one denarii. So if you get paid minimum wage, I'm not sure where minimum wage is where you live, but let's just say minimum wage is $10, $10 an hour. Uh, after eight hours, we know that that would be how much? Right, 10 times 8 is 80, $80. Uh, so at $80 a day, owing 50 denarii, you would end up owing your creditor $4,000. under Today's wage is at $10 an hour. However, if you made a minimum wage and you owed 500 denarii, boy, does that number escalate. That is now no longer 4000 it is now $40,000 that you owe. So here's one man at $10 an hour owing $4,000. And here's this other man, uh, lady, that owes uh, $40,000. And the day came that it was time to pay up. But either way, if you make minimum wage, you know that that's a large amount of money. Especially if you don't have the money in the bank and they come a-knocking on your door, right? Uh, the, the sheriff of the day came knocking on the door and said, it's time to pay up. Else, you're going to be in trouble. In either case, the debtor was expecting his money. There was no reliable banks at that time. You couldn't go and take out another loan. As a matter of fact, if you would, what would you have for collateral? There was no bankruptcy court, as many of you know, so you could not go and declare bankruptcy. And as many of you already know, there is only one solution to your problem when you owe the money, 
And you already know it is uh, what that answer is because you've heard this uh, uh, just a short time ago. And that was you would either sell yourself into slavery, sell your wife, or your pretty little what? Children. So you would sell yourself, your wife, or your children. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 25. Here again, Jesus is speaking, just as a reference here for us. And it says, and since he could not pay, you can read the context in your own time, uh, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. In other words, you, you don't have the money, it's time to pay up with your very life, with your, your, your very physical presence. Order him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So all of this money is pretty substantial. It was a serious issue which needed to be addressed. What would be the response of many of our moneylenders today, many of our banks? What would be the response of those who say they will turn your check into cash? All right? You say that you needed a loan, and you need a loan against a check that you are going to receive from your job. You say, well, is there a way, Mr. Moneylender, for me to turn my check into cash before I get the check? What will be his response when it's time to pay up? What about the loan you took out to purchase that stove, or that refrigerator, or even that student loan that you may need or that you have? Well, you can rest, be assured that they're certainly not going to sell you into a bondage. Can you say amen? But they will try to take you to court to garnish what little you may have left of your paycheck. It'll be like the government, that you'll receive your check and the person who you owe money will be listed on your check and take most of your money and it's gone. And if that's not enough, if you own a house, you know that they will try to make an attempt to place a lien on your home. They want their money. What do you do when the pressure is on when you owe and they want it? What will you do? What do you have left? So under that great amount of burden under that great amount of pressure. The creditor here, he says, I'm not going to sell you into slavery. I'm not going to sell your wife into slavery. I'm not even going to sell your children into slavery. I am just going to forgive your debt. How many of you say, if that happened, I'd probably love my creditor too? Jesus asked the question, now which one of them will love him more? Which one will love the lender more? What does love have to do with it? Why would I have to love, or why would the question even come up, uh, that I would love the person who forgives the debt? It seems uh, to me, at least, somewhat of a strange question to ask. Why would you make this leap, uh, this woman, 
to now owing someone money, they forgive another person. What does love have to do with it? Nevertheless, Jesus, he asked the question without qualification. He didn't say love because of this or love because of that. He just asked the question, now which one of them will love him more? That's it, nothing else. Can't read into it. Done. Will it be the one who owes $4,000? Will it be the one who owes $40,000? Which one will love the most? If it was about love and appreciation, we know that the one who owed the most would love the most. So uh, if they forgive you of your debt, imagine if you would. What is the, the, the largest bill that you owe? As a matter of fact, take all of your loans and all of your debt and put them in one bucket and, and figure out if someone forgave you that, would you tell that brother or that sister, you know what, you forgave my debt, I love you. I probably would. I said, man, you know, I really love, give me a hug, man. That's what I would probably do. We know how we would, or at least how we should respond. But what about Simon? This is important, because Simon comes onto the scene, and he's, understand that he's not just representing himself, but he's also representing an organization of such. He's representing the Pharisees, and, and, and the Pharisees are probably listening in, trying to figure out exactly what will he say, because he's representing all of us. He has the voice of all of us who are curious about Jesus. Which one would love the money lender the most? And of course, we answer the one whose largest debt was canceled. You know, uh, sometimes when you have a small debt, and, th and this is the thing, when you have a smaller debt, uh, oftentimes we figure out that we can handle this ourselves. We know that if we uh, put our debt on layaway, right, uh, we'll pay a little bit now, and then we pay a little bit next week, and we figure if we pay $5 here or $25 there, or maybe $100 there, and we do this over a period of time, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can probably get it paid. But what about if your debt is so substantial and you know in this lifetime, uh, working the hours that you're working, there is no way in the world that you can pay that loan back without starving or without being kicked out on the streets. This is a problem that Jesus was trying to surface here with Simon the Pharisee. See, someone who has the power of self-determination, right, and, and within their own strength, within their own will and their own power, uh, they can figure out $4,000, but $40,000 at the rate it currently is, and you say, well, I could probably handle that, but you have to put this again into a better context for yourself. You basically plan this out according to how much money you make every hour. 
Not how much money they make. How much money do you make every hour? And then you multiply that hourly rate by 500, and then that's your rate. That's how much you owe. It's very interesting here that as we read through the text, that the idea of debt cancellation, that if it's canceled, right, uh, Simon says here, verse 43, Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Here's something fascinating for you. That the word for canceled, and here it is, the word for canceled uh, find its root meaning in the same word for grace. So the word canceled, here it is, the word charizomai, right? Charizomai, charizomai. That's the word for cancel. And the word for grace is charis. You can't have charizomai without charis. You can't have charizomai. You can't have cancellation without grace. Uh, so uh, what Simon was saying was that this individual who canceled the debt, that he, in essence, that he demonstrated grace to those who owed him money. Whether large or whether small, it doesn't make a difference. They owe the money, but yet uh, this money lender, he canceled the debt. Grace, charis, charisma. God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Here, these two individuals that owe the money, they receive the unmerited favor of the moneylender. Why did he do it? Why would he cancel the debt? It's because of his own personal, his own sovereign will. This is why. Because he wanted to. How then do you set yourself up to be a recipient of this grace? Right? Wouldn't you want to know that? I would want to know, how are you able to set yourself up to receive the grace of the money lender to whom I owe money? How do I put myself in that position? <laughs> well, you can't. Because as you know, grace, you cannot earn grace. You see what Jesus is saying here in this parable? He is saying that these individuals, that they could not earn the ability in order to have their debts forgiven. They certainly can't earn it because they already owe. They can't earn it because they already owe. You hear what Jesus is saying. How do you earn how do you work for, how do you put yourself in a position to receive grace? The charizomai, the cancellation of the debt, quite frankly, that we owe God. Therefore, Jesus is setting forth his ministry as a purveyor of grace to all who would believe in him as Redeemer. So Jesus told Simon, you see in this passage, what did Jesus tell him? He told him that you have judged rightly. He says, you, my friend, are on the right track. So the expectation then is, if Simon could judge the issues with forgiveness of debt correctly, he should be able to, to also judge 
correctly this idea of forgiveness overall. But love seems to come into the picture. And only after forgiveness has been granted. In other words, why would there be love if there was no cause to love in the first place? Why would Jesus bring up love if the debt had not been canceled, if it had not been charizomied out, right? Uh, so the relationship that the individual had with the moneylender was only a business relationship. And again, how many of us would say that we love our, our loan officer? Oh, I love you. You canceled my debt. Oh, I love you. All right. The service rep at your bank. But would your attitude change if they called you today? If you got home and received a notification that your bank has canceled your debt, would your attitude change about them? Mine would. If I, if I went home and they said, you know, uh, your, your, the mortgage on your home has been paid in full by someone, receive it. I say, I would tell them again, I love you. I love you. Can I take you out to lunch at least? At least to White Castle now, come on. The least I could do. And you know how it is if you owe a lot of money and if you've ever been in debt and you got out of debt, you know it is like a huge burden that has been lifted off of your shoulder. It's like freedom. And if your debt has been paid, whether someone has paid it for you or else you have done it yourself, when you are free and clear of that debt, don't you feel like dancing? If you don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we've got to pray for you and your debt. Amen? But you feel like dancing. You feel like jumping up, uh, jumping up and down and running all over the place. And you can sing that song, Freedom. Oh, freedom. You can sing that song. Amen. So the bottom line is that a debt is burdensome. This is what Jesus was getting at. And it becomes a persistent yoke around your neck. You can't move. I mean, why do you go to work in the first place? Because you want to eat. You want to have a place to live. Our difficulty is that we fully understand canceling of debts and things that are visibly tangible to us, yet towards understanding the spiritual. Matters we continue to be in the dark as if uh, it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, you, you see, this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what he's driving at in the first place. He's talking about the lesson of love and appreciation. Luke chapter 7, verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, remember, not Simon Peter, but Simon the Pharisee. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. We heard that last time, that Jesus had been walking around, and the fact that she was wiping Jesus' feet, that means he had dirt on his feet. I, for some reason, I was hesitant about saying that Jesus had dirty feet. But Jesus was walking around, and Jesus had dirty feet. So as she was wiping his feet with her hair, uh, being washed with her tears, that means what was getting in her hair? Dirt was getting in her hair. Now, I know some of you ladies, you may have issue with that. 
Uh, she probably said, I already need to go to the beautician, uh, so last thing I'm going to do is wash somebody's feet with my hair. Verse 45. Uh, Jesus told Simon, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. So Jesus came into the place and sat down at table. And we already understood what that means, that he was lying down. He propped himself up on his elbow, eating sideways. His feet was away from the table, and she was able to get, have access to his feet as he was laying down this way. Right? So the moment he came in and sat down, from the moment that Jesus came in, that she saw, uh, she saw our Lord, and she immediately went to him and began to minister to him. Verse 46. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So Jesus, he explains and defends this woman's act of love. Again, from the very moment uh, that Jesus entered the building, he was not treated with the type of respect that one would expect uh, of, uh, as to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So therefore, Jesus, he explains to Simon the difference in behavior between her and him. And you know, sometimes some of us, when it's time for us to worship, we treat Jesus or we treat our time of worship just like Simon the Pharisee. We come into our time of worship blasé and very lukewarm. And we treat our worship of the Lord much like Simon not displaying our love towards the Lord, not humbling our hearts before Him, and then wondering, why is it I can't get anything out of service? No, it's not because of the preacher. No, it's not because of the singer. No, it's not because of the, ad the, the, the atmosphere. It's all because of me. Oh, me, oh, me. It's me, oh, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You see, it is at that very juncture that we have to figure out how is it right, how should we correctly respond to God? By preparing ourselves. I believe that this woman probably, she heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. When she heard that she was in that place, that she was just waiting for an opportunity to demonstrate her love to the Lord. And it's like when it's time for us to come in to worship, are we waiting to display our love for God? Do we have that same sense of gratitude, that same sense of love, that same sense of appreciation for what we know that Christ has done for us to the Lord in worship? No, it's not always about singing. We didn't hear this lady singing, but it is about the condition and the position of the heart. They said here, Jesus said that they didn't give him water for his feet. They didn't kiss him, didn't anoint his head with oil. And then these, some of these things were common practices. You come into someone's house and typically they would give you water for your feet 
or even have someone wash your feet for you. They would kiss you and even anoint your, your, your head with oil when you would come in out of the hot, dry desert sun with dust and sand all over the place. Your face would be dry, so they would give you oil for your face in order to help moisturize it. And the kiss, by the way, is not the same kind of kiss. Jesus wasn't asking for the same kind of kiss as we think today between two men. Amen? This was a cultural thing. So for those of you who are listening, they're trying to figure out, see that, see that, that shows you right there that Jesus wanted to kiss a man. No, that's not what it's saying. This is a cultural thing. Just like you go to France, or you go to Spain, or places like this, men will come up to you. You know, uh, uh, one time, uh, uh, my wife and I, we, were, uh, we had gone to Spain, and we had uh, 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 spent some time with some of her friends, and and, 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 and her friend, he come up, him and his wife, you know, she comes to me, she does one of those numbers. I'm like, oh, isn't that nice? And then he came up to me, he did like that. I'm like, whoa, I did like that. You know, I had, I had to back up. And then I had to remember, oh, don't forget you're in Europe. And I'm like, oh, okay. But you see, this is a common practice. This is a common cultural practice. And during this time in the Middle East, as a matter of fact, you go in these places today, and they still do it. I had a guy of, uh, of Middle Eastern in Arabic actually do the same thing to me. But by then, I got it. You know, he had the accent, though. I want you to know. It wasn't anybody. So I knew he had come from the country. So he had done one of those things to me, and I got it. I didn't do it back because I'm like, hey, I'm in America, you know. You know but I, nevertheless, I understood the cultural context. So uh, for Jesus, he was saying that you didn't greet me with the respect that's normally common for our people. What's up with that? So whether these actions were expected or not, the bottom line is that Simon and his crew didn't respond to Jesus in this matter. Why? In this manner. Why? Because it was not in their hearts. But interesting, even though Jesus says you didn't do this, he didn't chide them. He says you are bad, 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 bad for not doing this to the Son of Man, to the Son of God. He didn't chide them. But he pointed them to the woman who displayed a depth of love and appreciation for our Lord. She worshipped as the Holy Spirit led her. So for a second time, the issues of loving a little or loving a lot, it comes into focus. And this was something for Simon to try to figure out in his head. But yet it remains a question in our minds and in our hearts uh, how we're going to walk through this today. Do we love the Lord a little or do we love him a lot? You know, one of the things that we, uh, in, the, in our men's gathering just uh, uh, two Saturdays ago, that we heard in the teaching was that, you know, uh, Dr. Tony Evans, he says that you know, uh, he likes real Christian men, he said, right? He said he likes men who are not Christian punks. In other words, that says that as men, that, that we need to learn how to worship the Lord uh, as men, right? And we don't have to be like ladies, because sometimes, you know, you know, a lady can worship the Lord in a certain way, and it seems like it's only for a lady, Amen. But men uh, don't necessarily worship the same way that women do. 
Can you say amen, men? So therefore, it's important, men, that men are in the church. If you allow your sons to come to church and you as a man are not there to show your son how to worship, they're going to end up worshiping like, figure that one out. So if you're not there, they only have one other model. And then if you end up with, at, mad at your son, you know, you son, you acting kind of, uh, you know, you kind know, uh, kind of weak there, right? You acting kind of limp there, son. Uh, every time we go to church, so therefore I'm not going to church where they're acting like that, father, because you are not in church. Men get the church. Show our young men, our boys, how to worship God. Go ahead. So would Simon be able to transfer the lesson about cancellation of debt to the forgiveness of sin? That's the thing that's in question. This is the limit we also find ourselves in. As we extend grace to others, as we have received God's grace, are we truly worthy of God's unmerited favor, which the Lord pours out on us time and time again? And the answer to that question, as you and I know, is no. That we cannot earn God's grace. We are not deserving, uh, and this is the very thing we have a problem with. This is the struggle some people have. Uh, they have equated the fact that, well, you really can't be saved unless, they say, right, uh, unless you've earned your way into heaven. But again, Jesus says that you cannot earn your way into heaven. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace... That you have been what? Saved, right? Uh, not of your own self, not of your own works, lest anyone can boast. Right? It is not because of you. It's all because of God's, again, his unmerited favor. <laughs> so if we know that the Lord has forgiven our many sins, be it federal sin, that one sin that is inherited through Adam and Eve, then we should be deeply appreciative and have a deep love for Jesus Christ. But why would we be, would be appreciative? Why would we be appreciative if we don't think we are sinful or don't believe that Christ exists in the first place? There's the rub. You see, you strike one down, and you strike the other down. You don't believe in Jesus, you know you don't have sin. You don't have sin, you're not going to believe in Jesus Christ. They go hand in hand. Jesus then becomes a non-issue for you. For those who don't believe yet, however it is an issue, we will have to address one way or another, one day or the other. So Jesus holds authority to forgive sin. Luke 7, verse 48. He tells the woman, he said to her, your sins 
are forgiven. Then those who were at table, right, an interesting way of phrasing that, right? Those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus, he forgives the woman of her sins. My question to you, is it the faith that saves? Well, wait a minute. Jesus says it is the faith that saves. So was it, if I have faith, it is, is it that faith that actually saves? Idea. It is the faith in Christ. So as Jesus is explaining, he's talking about himself. All together is mixed together. He is saying, your faith in me, our faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, that that is the thing that saves us, that it is Jesus Christ who not only redeems, but it is Jesus Christ who also keeps. Your faith has saved you, Jesus says. And this is probably one of the reasons that this woman was attracted to Jesus in the first place. We talked about that last time, that she saw Jesus and she understood that he was approachable. Uh, he was not like the Pharisees. He, he was not like those who walked around in their phylacteries, right? Those little boxes on their heads or in their arms uh, black things with scriptures inside of them, uh, not wanting anyone to touch them. Jesus was approachable. Not only could Jesus minister to the pro prostitute, Jesus could also minister to the leper. He could also minister to the poor. Jesus can also minister to the rich. He could minister to the intellectual as well. Jesus had the capacity to minister to all. Paul says, to all people I have become all things so that by any means I may be able to save some. See, Jesus calls us to extend ourselves into all situations to minister to all types of people. Those that are like us and those that are not like us. Amen? Come on, let's try it again. Those that are like us and those that are not like us. So don't, never, don't ever feel as if someone is beneath you in order to minister to them. Never think that you are above another person. Because if Jesus can do it, we can do it. If Jesus can do it, we can do it. You say that with me. If Jesus can do it, we can do it. Now I'll say, if Jesus can do it, I can do it. If Jesus can do it, I can do it. Jesus was the purveyor of grace. He told the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. You are the new purveyors of God's grace through Jesus Christ, pointing the world to hope, pointing the world to redemption. In Jesus Christ. We're here in verse 49, they're grumbling and mumbling as they always do. Jesus, how can this man forgive sin? Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is that he can forgive sins? 
For Jesus to forgive sins would mean he was someone greater than the Pharisees, and they didn't like that. See, they had their own special club. They had their own boys that they were familiar with. And here this Jesus comes walking down with these sandals. All of a sudden, women are touching him all over the place. People are bowing down to him. Next thing you know, he has hundreds and hundreds of people following him. He's out here multiplying. He's baking bread through his miracles. He's catching fish with his miracles, his miracle power, and all these things. Jesus is doing this. Who does he think? He didn't come from where we came from. Who does Jesus think he is? Asking that question there in verse 49. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying among themselves. Then, uh, verse 49, Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who this is? Who is this? And that very question as to them asking who this was, was the very reason that this woman was attracted to Jesus in the first place. He was approachable. Jesus is righteous. Jesus, he is love. Jesus wants us into this relationship. So therefore, he has the authority to forgive sins. Verse 50. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Remember, it was the Holy Spirit that drew the woman to Jesus in the first place. Do you not realize that those who come to the Lord to be saved, that it is the Holy Spirit who must draw them? You understand this? It is not how you craft words. It is not even how holy you are. As a matter of fact, I've seen some people come to the Lord through some folks who wasn't nothing but jokers. So God has the unique power to draw people unto himself regardless of the person that is even pronouncing the word that's before them. God has saving power. So God, he draws the individual through his spirit to himself. What will you do? When you feel the presence and the power of God, will you ignore that passion and the zeal of getting to Him? Will you go, you look up, and will you go running to Jesus Christ? And this is the one thing that Jesus said to the woman that very day. He says, Go in peace. It's one thing that's missing from many of our lives. That we have Jesus, but we have no peace. We have Jesus, but inside, uh, you know in our hearts and our minds, we're like tornadoes. We're like hurricanes on the inside. We're really unstable. If someone were to open up our chest to see our spirits and our emotions, it would be like a whirlwind of activity going on in the inside because we have no peace. Because we are allowing uh, the pharisaical folks in our lives to bring us down to their level. But Jesus calls us into freedom. Jesus calls us into peace. 
So we do that by living in the forgiveness of Christ. And as you live in the forgiveness of Christ, knowing that he has forgiven you, brothers and sisters, God has forgiven you. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has forgiven you. Regardless of what you have done, regardless of all the mess that you have left in your wake, God has forgiven you if you go to him as your Lord and Savior. And knowing that, you will receive his peace in return. So again, live in the forgiveness of the Lord. And as you do, his peace will cover you and will infuse you with the divine confidence which the world wants, but it cannot attain to because they reject Jesus Christ. So will you love the Lord a little? Or will you love him a lot? God, he gives us a choice. Better yet, God gives us grace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, sometime we admit to you that it's difficult to hear your word because in our hearts and minds we have already decided what it should say, what your word should say. We've, we've already decided. And because we've already decided what it should say, we can't even be ministered to because of our hard exterior shell. God, only your spirit can accomplish this. But we, Father, also must be willing participants that you would never, ever in a million years violate our own personal conscience. But Father, realizing that today, we open ourselves up to you, <clears throat> and we ask you, Lord God, that you would do a work in our hearts and our minds today. We heard your word, Lord God. We heard that you have forgiven us, Lord. And even though we may not have come before you kissing you and, and kissing your feet and washing your feet and anointing your feet, Lord God, 